0: That's the power you have when you're at the top, right? Like everyone will watch you at all times. So my job was to make sure to take advantage of that.
1: How did that attitude as a pro player uh, transfer into what
0: you're doing right now? There are good and bad companies in this world. So only take volunteer positions where you think you can actually learn something.
1: Does your structure and uh, the, the way you work uh, influence the kind of studios and, and titles you're after?
0: As long as I can spread knowledge and help people while at the same time learning new knowledge myself, I'm in a happy space.
1: Welcome to BizDevQuest Episode 5, the podcast about video games business people and their quest for success. I'm your host, Jampalo Vernocchi, and my guest today is Pontus Meloch, Director of Business Development of GTR, which is a business accelerator that works and invests in developers from all over the world. I'm really excited about today's episode because it really encapsulates a journey, a quest, Pontus started out as a pro player of Heroes of New Worth before helping with balancing as a volunteer, which then led him to helping with game design, which led into being the captain and CEO of an esports team, which led into many different other avenues that brought him here. We only touched briefly on Pontus' history as I was really curious to pick his brain about various topics such as volunteering and investing. But in the end, I felt really proud of this episode because in essence, it's what BizDev Quest is all about. Every one of us is on a different quest, but like Steve Jobs said, you can't connect the dots looking forward, you can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to move forward trusting that the dots will connect in your future. I always thought it was a powerful message, and I guess it is my message for you today. As always, please let me know what you think about the podcast on Facebook and Twitter. And now let's get to the episode. All right, Pontus, welcome to the podcast. How are you?
0: Thank you. No, I'm very good. It's, uh, it's been a very uh, colorful weekend. I uh, had, had a couple of friends coming over, you know, just having a good time, which is always nice, especially during this virus period. We, we're lucky enough, or at least I'm lucky enough, to live in a country where the virus is kind of non-existent at the moment. So life goes on as normal here now. You can go out, you can do whatever you go, you know, whatever you want to do. And that's, of course, uh, super nice for us. Less nice, redder people. So I'm good. Yeah, how are you?
1: I'm I'm pretty good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, here in Italy, uh, we're not as lucky. I would say. Um, it's impressive how we're managing it better than other countries. Italy is notorious for their inefficiency, but <laughs> uh, apparently this time around we're doing um slightly better. Um, so so that's good. Um, uh, you've been uh in that part of the world for a while now, right? How many years has it been?
0: Yeah, so I've been going back and forth to Thailand for almost eight years. Um, so with my old career, I came here roughly two or three times a year. And nowadays I've been living here full time. Uh, it's August now, so I guess next month it's been four years exactly. Unless it's been five, I could have lost time. <laughs> but I think it's been four. Yeah, four, four years. Yeah. Uh,
1: well, you were pretty young when you moved in. And, and young people are kind of like cats. They always uh, fall on their feet. Uh, but how was uh, the adjustment for you, uh, if there was any?
0: Oh no, it was uh, it was very hard to to adjust generally. But the, the the thing is that when I was in my old career again, like uh, when I was a pro gamer, so to speak, I came here, built up a network, got friends, you know, way before I even moved here. So, um, I'll give you a, a funny story. Was that I, this whole moving here thing was kind of not really planned. I was basically out with my best friend, whose name is coincidentally, also Pontus. And we were just, uh, yeah, having dinner, some drinks and stuff and having a good night. And then he basically just threw it out randomly, like, why don't you move to Thailand? I mean, most of your, you know, fan base is there anyway, you have contacts there. And you know, in Sweden, it's kind of like boring. And I I like an active lifestyle. And then I moved like a month later. And I landed here and you're talking about adjustment with a a signed deal that was supposed to get me uh, a condo and everything set up, you know, like work visa and so forth. And I've very quickly learned that it's it structured differently over here than it is in Europe, where, you know, oral agreements are an as, um, as set in stone, so to speak. It was an oral and a signed agreement, but there was parts missing in the signed document, I guess. So in retrospect, I was being a, a, a stupid. But once I came here and you know fell on my yeah again, like just came here and things went crazy. I just reached out, you know, to to people that I knew, and they a week later I had a new condo. They were taking care of me. I reached out to my contacts at Karina, and he hooked me up with a Thai company that I then started working for. So they're they're very accommodating here. They want to take care of you. They want to help you, and I love that part. But the hardest adjustment was work ethics, honestly, because food, amazing. I think anyone who's been to Thailand can say that Thai food is absolutely incredible. It's cheap. It's easy to make. It's relatively healthy minus all these spices and sugar they throw in there. Um, but but it's it's nice, right? So very easy. the people accommodating easy. But work ethics took me almost like a year to get used to because I mean, you're from Italy, right? So you know how it works. You book a meeting at two pm. you're there at two pm. If you're gonna be late, you know, five, ten minutes, you should send like a heads up. and if there was an emergency, then okay, you know that happens, right? But what I quickly learned my first six months is that no one is ever on time. Well, like ever.
1: I mean, you said you're from Italy. I can tell you that here in Italy is almost like you're describing it. I mean, if we book a meeting at 2 p.m., mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we might be there at 2, 5, you know, two ten. Uh, You know, Italians are not very good at that. I went to a conference one time and mm-hmm. the conference started at 5. And I was the only one there uh, sitting, you know, in the audience and was like, man, maybe I am in the wrong building or something, but no, there were just, everybody was in other parts of the building having coffee chatting. I was like, okay. (laughs) Um, so, uh, you were saying, how is that, how has that affected you?
0: Yeah. So this, I'm not talking five or 10 minutes, I'm talking 40 minutes and 30 minutes and I'm talking 50 minutes and even one time an hour. Oh, so, (laughs) and the excuse is always the same. It's like, I'm stuck in traffic. So Okay, that's a real, the traffic in Bangkok is probably the second worst in the world, but I'm a random foreigner who just moved here and I'm on time. <laughs> so what what kind of what kind of excuse is that, right? Like I calculate very easy, you open Google Maps, okay, you can take a taxi or a bike or a train, how do I get there on time? Calculate, go there, be done with it. But they they just kept being late over and over. And to this date, 4 years being here, this is still the same with any time meeting that I have. Okay, that's not fair. Eight out of ten meetings. That's how often it is. Oh, okay. So, yeah, learning the work ethics here about starting to accept it and cooling down. Because if this was Europe, you know, I would literally just walk out and leave. Right. Yeah. That's how I would do it in Europe. But I'm not gonna take this. Shit, like, oh, sorry for sorry for that. Uh, but yeah, I'm not gonna take this. Not gonna take this. Uh, but here, I asked around. You know, I asked all my friends. I asked Karina. Like, is this really normal? And they're like, Yeah. I mean, that's that's how the lifestyle is here, you know like people will be late and they will still expect you to be there and you're just gonna have to deal with it and yeah i guess i've gotten used to it but i'm still on time to this day sometimes i did like some funny like tests so i did the i showed up late to one of my meetings 30 minutes once and he still wasn't there <laughs> And he came five minutes after me and i told him that i've been waiting here for an hour man like uh <laughs> this is like not respectable <laughs> just to see if it actually went both ways and yeah, it's that's pretty funny. It, it's tough, man. Yeah, it's tough. Like, uh, yeah,
1: <laughs> that's pretty funny. Uh, you mentioned there in passing, uh, your past as a uh, as a pro player uh, yeah. in esports. Um, you were you were a competitive uh, Heroes of New Earth player. Um, and uh, you were at one point the best jungler in the world. Yep. if I'm not mistaken. Um, so it is fair to say that you were. Um one of the best in the world at that game at some point, yeah, um, and I have a fascination for people who are at the best <laughs> who are the best at something, okay now we can say, well, your heroes of new earth is not as uh i don't know maybe prestigious as being the top tennis player in the world, but who cares you know you're still the best at something, and a- at some point, a lot of players were after what you had and and you were the best yeah uh so first of all, first question for you is, um because I, I had to deal with a lot of pro players in the past. Mm-hmm. How aware were you the fact of the fact that you were one of the best in the world? And uh, did you do anything in particular to stay at that level? How did your mindset change from I'm just chasing to now I'm at the top?
0: Yes, yeah, so I'm actually a very analytical person in general, right? I did stock trading as well before uh, during my pro gaming career on the side. And everything about me is analyzing things. So I realized I was the best when... I was becoming the innovator. So the way that I became like the best player in the world, uh, yeah, I was. and you're right, there was the best jungler in the world for four years in a row. So I did keep that title for a long time. And it was basically like the way I got there was by watching other pro players, taking their strategies, innovating them, and like going to, so in a speed run, for example, but in this case, a jungle, I'll see like, how did he do his rotation? How did he actually come to level six, for example, in these three minutes and 30 seconds? And how can I beat him? So I did that for every single player, like the top players, and for every single hero in the game until no one could beat me. Like I had the the highest strategies, so I had the best, uh, I had the best time with pretty much any hero in the game, and that was by analyzing other people. Once you got to that point, right? Once you were the fastest, so to speak, it's more about you know the the actual decisions you make within the game. It's like how are you planning your strategy? When are you pushing? Uh, when are you going to be ganking? You know all of that, and. Before, like when you're not a pro gamer, you kind of all do it all on, uh, on what do you call it? Um, on auto. Autopilot? Like you, yeah, on autopilot. You kind of think like, oh, I'm going to gank at four minutes. I'm going to gank at 4.30. But what you're forgetting is that if you actually have a pattern, people will analyze it, find it, and it's not going to work anymore. Right. So you need to continuously innovate every single game. You need to change up your pattern. You need to buy different items. You need to go in different places. And at one point, I realized that, OK, now I have the fastest times. I'm innovating and people are copying me. Like the pro gamers I was looking up to that I was researching were now copying me instead. So every single strategy like when we played against an enemy team or when I watched a YouTube match of another team, they were using my rotations, they were using my patterns. And that's when I realized, oh holy, <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> like holy damn, you know, like I I'm now the innovator and I've never really been that good of an innovator. Like, I'm good at, like, analyzing what's there and making it better and improving it. But now I'm in a position where I'm the one deciding the metagame. I'm the one deciding the, that the, uh, which hero is good. Right. And that that was kind of, like, at the point I'm like, okay, uh, now what? And then after that, I started doing, like, a lot of really uh, stupid things. So before, which is cool uh, in, in retrospect, it's like before we were playing against a big team, I would, like, intentionally stream the matches because they always watch your stream, you know? And I would either throw or make bad decisions or follow the exact same pattern. I love it. So there was one day, yeah, there was one day where I had like, we had a huge match the next day. I streamed the whole day before playing two of the same heroes, going the exact same rotation at the exact same minute. And then they were expecting that. So the next game day when we played against them, they were making movements expecting that, but I was doing the opposite. So I caught them off guard like several times during the game. I love it. And that's like that's the power you have when you're at the top, right? Like, everyone will watch you at all times. So my job was to make sure to take advantage of that, show myself as much as possible, make stupid rotations, buy stupid items before big games, because they never actually realized it was intentional. And especially because there's a language barrier, right? Because the biggest teams in Han were Asian, and they didn't speak very great English. So they couldn't understand everything I was saying either, so they were only looking at my gameplay. And that's like a huge strength to have, but yeah. Uh, anyway, well, uh, no, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, I, I, I had the mostly my experience with uh, the fighting game community and, and mm. uh, the pro players there. Uh, and in the fighting game community, there is a lot of, well, n- now it's getting nerfed, I would say, but there was a lot of um, animosity. There was a lot of, uh, 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 like personas and egos, and it was actually pretty funny. Like it, it was akin to pro wrestling in a way, mm. uh, where the top personality would be very outspoken and be like, I'm the best, nobody can beat me. And the other player could, you know, would come up and be like, no, you're a scrub and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, and it would go back and forth and they would play it out. And that was funny. Um, but I never saw it happen in other games. Also mostly because usually the developer is very involved and you know, like LCS is super, very clean mm. uh, and, and that happens everywhere. Uh, was it the same uh, back then for Heroes of New Earth?
0: It really depends on what type of personality you are, right? That, that, that's honestly what it comes down to. And, and yeah, I was actually a victim of one of those. So my first, like when I broke out, like when I became my first, like, you know, this is slapped, like when people started knowing my name was during DreamHack Winter, I think 2012 or 2013. I don't, I can't exactly recall. And basically every single player in the entire community thought it was a fluke that we qualified. Because I was the captain of that team. No one had ever really heard of me. Yeah, maybe they've seen me, but I was nobody. My team members were nobodies. And yeah, we we qualified to the top eight for to play at the offline LAN. And then what happened there was that we started destroying everyone. Like, it wasn't fair games. It was like 15, 20, 25 minutes. We're destroying you. And that was to every top team at that entire event. However... The enemy captain was really smart. So his name was Swindle Swindlemelons uh, for Dota players. He's called Kyle. You guys probably know him. He's a big figure right now. He was sitting behind me at every match, like watching what I was doing, analyzing what I was doing. And sometimes he would even like say, say stuff like after the game. Oh, nicely done. You know, like, why did you do this? And back then, you know, I was kind of like, you know, he's a, an authority over me. He's a better player than me. He's a bigger thing. So I'm just going to talk to him. But he was actually doing research. So when we came to the finals, you know, he'd been so nice the whole time. He'd been very like pushed up. But when we came to the finals, the first match happened and he banned every strategy that we'd had for that event because he'd watched everything we were doing. He'd been talking to me. And then he threw in a comment like, well, nicely paid slept, (laughs) you know, just just to screw with me, right? So we ended up getting humiliated on stage. We made it all the way to the finals. People were super hyped. The underdogs are winning. And then the the finals were the most pathetic finals of history. (laughs) So, yes, it is there. Like, mind games is very important. But I would say, at least in the MOBA community, it's less less aggro. It's more mind games. Like, you know, getting into that head. Like, trying to make them think about a hero or a strategy. Or doing what I did, stream the day before, right? Right. Like, it's more... The actions you take rather than the words, yeah, there were you know a couple of rivalries, and there were some angry words being thrown out, but never anything super bad like it's never been like a it's it's not you know the hype is more between the team themselves the teams themselves about you know flaming each other in the chat, dropping memes, dropping taunts, you know that is very like uh, a common occurrence, but it's usually during the games, not before or after right
1: yeah. um you sound very uh confident in the in my personal definition of confidence, which is, you know exactly where you stand in the food chain. If you are the best, you know that you're the best. Uh, But if you are just somebody chasing and coming after, uh, you kind of know where you are. Um, And uh, that is very interesting to me, to know how that experience as as a pro player, that attitude as a pro player, uh, transferred into what you're doing right now. Hmm. Uh, you're currently director of business development at uh, GTR, and since then, you're, you let's say you've moved from um, esports and and pro gaming into uh, game development and uh, actually supporting game developers uh, and everything that revolves around that. Um, but that competitive player mentality that I mm-hmm. still have a little bit. Um, it, 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 i'm sure it's still there i'm sure it's like oh this is the best oh no this is the worst oh, th- oh this sucks and, and stuff like that uh, how did that translate into what you're doing right now
0: well I, I mean i've always been a fighter i've always wanted to you know prove my worth like both in gaming and in business and in life i mean to, to myself like i think the biggest thing about it at least for me and most of my colleagues back in pro gaming is like we're our own worst enemy because when we stop with our professional career we're competing against ourselves only and we're competing against like how big we can achieve certain things. So I guess the way to translate it was that I always wanted to beat my goals. I always wanted to beat that jungle timer. Whenever I made something new, it had to be better than before. It had to be an improved thing. Someone asked me to design something. I had to make it better, much better than what it was. Like I had to have shown a significant impact. And there are a lot of projects I would love to talk about that I've done under NDA where I have achieved that. And then there are projects where I haven't as well. So of course, it's not a complete success. So I guess the biggest thing that has transferred is just the, the whole fighting factor, like always want to improve yourself, always want to make yourself better, you know, increasing the jungle timer, uh, always want to like make things more efficient. So anything that, you know, makes your work or your colleagues lives or your, your own life more efficient, do it, you know, it's about making the most out of your time. So nowadays, I guess I'm competing with my own time. Like, how do I allocate it properly? How do I make sure, you know, I get all these things done that I'm supposed to be doing, not only for myself, but also for my studios, right? It's not only my own career that I'm taking care of. It's like 40 plus investments that we've made. So I also have to have that mentality with all of them too. Like how do we make sure that they develop on time, they get fund like additional funds on time, we find a publishing deal on time. It's all just a competition to me with myself of achieving those goals. Uh, so I guess that's number one, because in, in this industry, especially working with startups, it's not a, uh, how do you say it? I mean, I can think that a game is the absolute best in the world, but the consumers might not. Mm. Obviously, one thing for my career is I have a significant game knowledge because I've played it. I've designed, like, I've done game design, right? I've played them professionally. I understand the core concept of pretty much every game there is. So I probably have a higher success rate of choosing a successful game, but we're still in the startup industry. And the number one more important thing is that you never know anything. Like, sorry, you never know everything. Right. You can always learn more. So all that I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get you know, knowledge from people like you. I'm trying to get knowledge from VCs, publishers, the studios themselves. There is always something to, to learn to improve like, your own life, whether it's business or you know, private or whatever. You know, I've made friendships with some of these studios, like real life ones, right? So yeah, I guess it's just about making your mark uh, on your own life. You know, make, make yourself happier, uh, make your surroundings happier. That's the primary thing that I took from gaming because that's what I did back then. You know, we we grew pro players. And for, if there's any Dota players listening to this, my team, which we were the best in the world with, uh, all of those players are now playing Dota in professional teams. So Team Liquid has Insania and Micke. These are the two players that i played with almost my entire career. And Micke, I actually found in a random public game. I just found him and played with him and invited him to become part of my team. And he has been with me since 2013. So, you know, it's about taking other people around you and like building them up. I was a different kind of pro gamer. Sorry to to keep talking, but it's fine. Just to put some perspective on it, is um, I always wanted to help people. So, if you look at my YouTube, it's all about educational content, like improving the surroundings, making other people's lives more efficient. I'm practically doing the same thing here, except I'm doing it for startups scene. Instead of teaching people how to, you know, play a hero or play the game, I'm teaching them how to build a company. How to get deals? How to improve it as a as a business and not just as a game? So, regardless of how weird my career has been and being in every single aspect of the gaming industry, they're all kind of intertwined because they're all really the same thing. Like that's my core uh, core goal has always been to help the surroundings around me, making it more efficient and my own, and that's exactly what I'm doing right now.
1: Uh, before jumping into GTR, there's yep. two things that are interesting to me. Uh, the first one is. Um, By my experience, most of the pro players I met Mm -hmm. um, have very poor understanding of of game design. (laughs) Uh, They might have very good understanding of balancing and uh, how they can exploit stuff because that's their job. Um, But, you know, people I've met in the fighting game community have... Uh, first of all, little knowledge outside of their own sphere, like they, they just play their games and and nothing else. And mm-hmm. second of all, like what makes a good game, what makes a game fun, even for people that are not them. Um, that, so I guess that's rare. That's a rare characteristic that, that, that you have. And the second rare characteristic that you have um, is that you were extremely good but also very ex- willing to help. Uh, those not, not necessarily overlapped in my experience. Like usually the mentors, the teachers mm-hmm. uh, that I met were people not at the very top. Uh, they were like the top 32 people, but not the top eight, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Because the top eight people kind of had a very different hunger and attitude towards the game. Maybe, yeah, sure, if you met them in private, they were willing to help, but they, never, they were never, let's say, Uh, very active in the community or very active in building stuff. Uh, They were mostly just focused on the game. So those are two rare characteristics that you seem to have.
0: I guess so. (laughs) Uh, But to put it in, in perspective, though, is that technically what I was doing about teaching people how to play the heroes is not necessarily a good thing for your pro career, because I'm giving like insight into how I think as a player, allowing other people to analyze me, understand how I work, and might actually be able to predict my actions within the game. So that's why a lot of pro gamers don't actually stream. They never stream their team matches. They don't stream their private sessions or their like improving sessions because um, yeah, they don't want to like give insight to other players. But for me, you know, I, I thought it as a strength. I'm like, you know, if they know what I'm doing and they know exactly what uh, like every move, every idea that I have, if I just do something completely different when I actually face them, they won't see it coming. That's how I always saw it. So it was like me giving away this advice is just going to make the game better, make the community better. And yeah, it's going to make everyone understand me, but there's nothing that says I have to follow these exact steps during the pro game itself, right? Right. So I think people are just a bit narrow-minded when it comes to that. Like, you got to look at it from the big picture. Like, helping the community build, You, uh, I'll give you a great example. Like, Mickey, the guy, if I didn't find him in a public game, uh, maybe someone else would have. But let's say that no one else found him. He's one of the best players in the world in Dota right now. He was one of the best players in the, in the world in Han as well. And that's all from a coincidence of me finding him. When you throw your name out there, you're helping community builds, there might be that one little kid like he was that, you know, just gets like a cling in his head and comes up with an insane strategy that no one else thought of. And because of that, the metagame changes, you know? You, you might change your strategy. There are so many players that I've learned from. Like I said, when I was on top, I wasn't just sitting there on my ass. I was trying to figure out how can I make new things, more innovative things. And some of those were stolen, of course. Like, the best way to make your game better is by analyzing other people and try to find like loopholes, try to find things to make better. And you do that by looking at other people, and you do that yourself by helping others. Because the more knowledge you spread, the more the better all the gamers in the community will be, and the next Mickey will show up, or the next five Micahs will show up, right? And you might learn more from them as well. So that, that's just my own mindset when it comes to... Uh, uh, the educational part. And what was the other question? Sorry?
1: Uh, yeah, the other one was uh, about game design. Is that oh, m- yes. many pro players are not very
0: good with that, let's say? Yeah, I guess I always just kept a, an open mind. I'm not one of those gamers who just play the same game o- over and over, even though I was a pro gamer. I played other games on the side. So I was actually like a top rated player in StarCraft as well. I was the top 100 EU for a while And uh, when the original StarCraft 2 came out. Uh, I was also like pretty high ranked in of Empires 2, like RTS style games. And uh, I was never really good, good in Counter-Strike, but I was like black rank on a big Swedish website, which is like the top rank. So I guess I've just always like played all different types of games so that my brain is like available to understand FPS, RTS, MOBAs, you know, different genres. Because when you are a pro gamer, the absolute best thing is if you're 100% focused on your own game. That's the reality. You know, like I might've even become an even better player if I ignored all other games out there and just played Han. I probably would have been better, right? But my my intellect wouldn't have been tickled, so to speak, and I wouldn't have been able to uh, understand like everything that goes on around me. And how I picked up game design was just by becoming a volunteer. I say I've said this on like three podcasts already. It's like when you want to start in the gaming industry, you got to start somewhere because everything. Anywhere in life is about connections and it's about creating connections because it's just because you're a nobody, so to speak, doesn't mean someone like me won't pick up your LinkedIn and try to help you out, right? Like, or someone like yourself that you'll just randomly send a tweet that might change someone's life. It's about always getting involved. So that's what I did. I became a volunteer at the age of 14 for, um, for Heroes in New Earth. I started helping them with designing heroes. I started helping them with balance, yes, for the public and the pro scene so that the two separated. I talked about this in Jay Powell's podcast, Um, and yeah, I just tried to be everywhere, you know, everywhere around the games to try to understand them, try to read into why they were good, and it's just learning by doing. I mean, my first GDD was not amazing, (laughs) you know, my second one was better. My third one was better. You got to execute stuff, like stop being in ideation stage all the time. Execute and fail. That's how I see it. I have tons of failures in my life that, you know, some, some of them are public, some of them are not. And that's because I tried to execute and you can't become a better person without executing and failing or executing and succeeding. Right. So yeah, I guess that's, that's why I guess.
1: Um, speaking of volunteering, uh, this is a topic that, um, uh, I spoke with, uh, Darringer during the last podcast, but uh, right at the end of our podcast. So that wasn't recorded, but, um, uh i feel like it's a minefield subject that uh mm-hmm. we me and her were talking about how how it is a minefield subject uh and now i'm going to navigate that minefield with you cuz you're a pro you know <laughs> uh so um we were both saying how much uh volunteering has helped uh many careers mine uh yours uh, uh probably hers uh, you know uh, and we were talking about like in the past uh, like one of my uh previous guests Um, Chris Wolf has helped his career as well. Oh, yes, Chris. Yes, (laughs) but it's a touchy subject because, um, you know, you work for free uh, and uh, it's weird if you request people to work for free for you, uh, but at the same time, it's very helpful like, I don't know, so many of us has, have benefited, but it, it seems to be a touchy subject. So I, I want you to help me navigate with that. And let's say let's talk both to people who want to become volunteers, mm-hmm. and to companies who have to deal with them, because it's very easy for companies to exploit people. Uh, and so help me out here.
0: Yeah. So it, it is indeed a very touchy subject. And, you know, like working for free is something you don't want to do over a long period of time. So I totally understand that. But the, the baseline is that there are good and bad companies in this world. Volunteer, volunteering costs you time. So only take volunteer positions where you think you can actually learn something. So you, if you do end up working with a company who is one of these bad companies, so to speak, where they will exploit you, there is no contract in volunteer work. You can leave at any time. You should learn very quickly if this is a company that appreciates you, appreciates what you do, and if you're actually intellectually challenged by doing this position. And I'm saying that because I actually just hired a volunteer in our own community. So we, we have a Discord channel for our G-Round, uh, for our G-Round Discords, so not GTR. And there was a, a girl in there called Cellcat who was super active in our community all the time. And she spoke Spanish. We needed someone who could speak to our Spanish community. So I basically just like, uh, reached out to her and I told her that, hey, you're doing a great job. Do you want to be like a community moderator and help us out? And she said yes. And she was a community mod for a month, and now she's on a full-time payroll. So all she did was like prove her worth. Like she talked to me. She talked to my colleagues. She was involved. She showed ideas. And then we decided to hire her because our motto is, if you do good work, you get paid no matter what you do, right. like, re- regardless of the process. Yeah, you might not get paid initially, but you execute something that's valuable to us, we are going to pay you like, no matter what. So even if there is no signed agreement or oral agreement of payment, we're still going to give it to you. So not every company is like this, for sure. Like we're probably, maybe that's like 20% out of all the volunteer positions, but they are out there. So how to actually navigate through the minefield is like, why are you volunteering for this company? What's the purpose? For me, for Han, it was, number one, I wanted to get into game design, I wanted to understand the process of building a hero, because when I was 12 and 13 playing Han, I kept trying to think, like, why is this hero so badly made? Why, are, why do they keep making balance patches for, for the next one? Like, there was a hero that got, like, four like, nerfs and buffs over the period of, like, three months. And I was like, that's like a design problem, not a number problem. Right, so I became a volunteer in that uh, in, in that space because I wanted to understand game design. I wanted to help design a hero to see if I'm being stupid or I'm being obnoxious. Um, and, and I wanted to you know work with the developers because I wanted to help Han be a better game because I loved Han. I played it almost every single day. So my purpose was to get intellectually challenged, improve my own like uh, knowledge and my own experience, and uh, and then like make the game that I love better. So that was very simple for for Chris, Chris Wolf. He went to the events, right? Because he wanted to get into the gaming industry. He wanted to be, be part of it. He wanted to show himself. He wanted to see like how an event was in action. Uh, and, and he went in there to get connections and build a network and prove to people what he's worth. So any volunteer position always needs to have an ulterior motive. If you're coming to me just because you want to know more about the industry, that, that, that's not, how am I going to help you? But if you come to me like she did and just wanted to be involved, she wanted to help Spanish people understand our platform. That's great. That's awesome. Or a previous volunteer I had um, that just wanted to understand more about game marketing so that she could become a marketer herself later. Because then I already know, like, if this volunteer comes to me with an ulterior motive, whether or not she's, she or he's paid, um, I, I at least know where to direct her or where to guide her. And if the person that you want to volunteer for isn't guiding you, it's not a good company. Right. You should always have connections to some part of management or a senior level, that will guide you and under, like help you understand why you're doing this. So that's like tips number 1. Like if you're not getting guidance, you're not getting it, like you're not in contact with the seniors, you're not in contact with anyone that can help you actually make the most out of your job, then go find another uh, person to work for. And other than that like it's such it's such a touchy subject, yeah, like you said because it is. I I've been very lucky, you know, like every time I volunteered, I've gotten something in return. So like ultimately, later on. So I guess I'm not the best person to give advice because I haven't been in a bad situation like that yet. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: I mean, here's another, here's another touchy thing. Mm. Um, probably it was the same for you, but I was a volunteer when I was a minor.
0: Oh, yeah. Me too. Uh, and you yeah. were
1: too, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's even weirder, right? Uh, I mean, just simply, you know, if you look at it from outside, uh, oh, yeah, there's this uh, 14-year-old kid that is helping us with game design um you know why is he why is he doing that why are we uh what unquote using a 14 year old to help us with a design can't we find a better designer can can we pay him you
0: know we're a big company
1: you know there's so many questions there but i but for me it was answer, very helpful
0: yeah i'm gonna answer that because they didn't know oh okay so i i've i've always had like a very strong like a, a rough voice even at that age so and also uh, my my whole uh me, my personality or me as a person is a very mature outlook. So I've always spoken like, you know, in, in proper wording and I was very, I mean, even back when I was 10 years old and I was trying to pick on girls, you know, like, uh, uh like, you know, like invite her for something. I would like write with proper pronunciations with dots and with commas, which wasn't cool <laughs> back then, but you know, I, I've always been very, uh, like outspoken and try to be very mature. So I was able to hide it and they never asked. So interesting. Yeah, that's that's obviously not good on their part as well because if I'm a company, I will ask who you are. Uh, so it was an oversight, I guess. But back then, I wasn't initially paid, right? So it's completely okay. They never paid me until they actually met me first. Right. Um, we met. We met the first time at DreamHack actually, and they were like, uh, you know, like, yeah, how old are you? I was like, uh, well, what do you think? He's like, oh, 21, twenty-one, twenty-two. I'm like, I'm fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, it really is a, a touchy thing because. For me, if it's a community manager kind of thing role, I I don't really mind what age they are, I guess. But it it depends on what kind of volunteer position within my organization is it. How much work is it required to have? What kind of people will you be connected to? Because there's the flip side where if you're in a public position, like a community manager or tech support or whatever you're volunteering for, there might be a lot of bad words thrown at you, a lot of people trying to make you feel bad. And I don't want to put a minor in that position. Right. So... Yeah, it's. I don't really know how to answer that. It's like,
1: yeah, it's weird. It's fine.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we can we
1: can move on. Um, uh, let's talk about something um uh, more safe, I guess. Uh, which is uh, Global Top Round. Um, sure. Now, uh, Global Top Round, you've been uh, around um, evangelizing uh, what it is. Uh, it's an acceleration program. Um. You know, instead of me botching it, uh, can you maybe give it the the two minute uh, pitch? Because the interesting thing about uh, GTR is that, uh, you know, very similar to your past, the structure sort of like a competition, more or less. You know, uh, there's uh, there's various rounds, there's various kind uh, of like levels, that. quote unquote. Yeah, uh, and there's a top ten and and stuff like that. So, uh, can you give it the the two minute pitch of what it is?
0: Okay, so we are a global accelerator slash investor that basically every single year invests in ten gaming startups. We do not do technology. We do not do any anything else. It's just video games and content. That's number one. We get all of these uh, you know applicants or studios coming to us by attending on uh, events online and offline, doing podcasts like this, of course, doing speaker sessions and juries. So if you Google my name, there's tons of speeches that I've done that are uh, unrelated to GTR. Uh, because we try to really help the industry and the community by adding as much knowledge as we can where wherever we can. Um, so people, you know, they see us outside. They like what we uh, they like what they hear, and they reach out to us on email. So last year we had three hundred and nine uh, studios from forty eight countries around the world applying to our program. You apply to our program by going to globaltopround.com, and right there there is an apply button, and you send in your pitch deck, your game, you know, your, your deck, your description about your team, etc. And then we review this digitally. We take it down to about 50 companies. After 50 companies, we play your games. So we only play the top 50. And once we play the top 50, we take it down to 20. Now, this is the so-called competition you mentioned. So these top 20 will be invited to an offline event called the GTR Annual Conference. This year, it's going to be in Malta. Um, and while you're there, that's where the competition part, uh, part starts. So the guests is us. It's 30 to 60 publishers and investors in our network that also are there to look at you, look at your pitch, for either right now or for a future potential deal. And you're pitching seven minutes only. So you have seven minutes, it could even be six, I might be messing up there, where you're on stage, you're pitching us your game, your company, et cetera. And that's the day number one. And day number two, there is a demo day where everyone gets to play your game and you get to vote as well for uh, who you think we should invest in. So you can't vote for yourself, of course, you gotta vote for someone else. And we'll get like a good like overview of what our audience and what our attendees thinks as well. Once this is done, uh, we announced the uh, top 10 end of that day, the second day, and a couple of weeks later, one or two, we start visiting you. So we fly to all of the countries, all the companies we meet with you, we talk to you, we make business happen. And a few weeks later, you got our first money. That's a long story short. I think that was two minutes.
1: <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, it's an acceleration program. So it implies yes. quote unquote that, um, you're kind of after companies that are in their infancy.
0: Uh, is that correct? So yes and no. So we can actually, before it was kind of like a yes, but nowadays we can support much bigger companies. Our biggest one right now is about 32 people. Um, so yeah, what we do is we provide investment first of all, but secondly, we actually are business partners with you and your company. So you can kind of see us as your co-CEO, co-CFO, whatever like you title you want us to have is irrelevant because we're not technically part of your company, but we come in and help you wherever you need it. So that means... Uh, negotiating with publishers and investors, actually fundraising for you, working with angel groups, reviewing your contracts, reviewing your documentation, like regular documentation, some marketing help, and then, of course, our own investment. So, and, and then, well, game design, because of me when I'm here now, we didn't offer that before. So we can also help you a little bit with production roadmap, uh, designing you know certain things and elements of you. Um, yeah, and we're basically like part of your company 24-7. You have access to us in Discord. You can talk to us anytime, any anything that you may have. And we grow every company individually based on what the strategy for that company is. So what that means is that, yeah, we're an accelerator, but there is no uh, glorified step A to get to step E. Right. It's actually different for every single company because some companies might, might be at stage two already or maybe even stage three already, and some might be completely in their infancy. So we're able to support you whether or not you're a pre-seed investment for us, which means that only you as the founders have invested money, or if there has been a little bit of investment from someone else, that's completely okay we can cover all of it because of all of us having very different backgrounds and different expertise like the management team, we're able to support anything within your business and like build up a company strategy for you so that you know what's going to be happening uh, over the next you know six months first and then another six months and then years to come yeah
1: and I assume you guys are taking um, a, a share in
0: the company is that right Yes so we take equity share in the company between uh, at absolute maximum so no matter what we will never own more than 11 percent ourselves. That's the maximum.
1: Mm, Interesting. Um, And, uh, you know, I'm a curious person, so I have to ask, is Mm -hmm. your strategy as as GTR um, a exit strategy based? So you're looking to sell your 10% uh, at some point, or you're just looking to super long term, just building successful companies that Mm -hmm. eventually will funnel you money?
0: No, so we we have, again, we're a very transparent company. So any listener of this podcast, you can always reach out to me and ask any questions if you may uh, wish so. But yeah, uh, no. So number one, the equity is, you know, it's not a lot of money. Like our first investment is only 40K. The second one is 60. And then we can do a two, 300K round after that as well. So let's say 400K is a total from us in three different stages. Um, So the initial money you get from us is like us putting skin in the game, you know? Right. Like we're here to show, we believe in you. We want to be part of your company. And, you know, we're going to buy a little bit of equity but because we're a pre-seed and because most of these companies are in their infancy by the time we reach you know the series C or whatever we'll be in- insanely diluted and we you know we'll be lucky enough to have like one or two maybe sometimes five sometimes eight you know we hope to be as little dilu- dilution as possible of course just making an example there um, so most companies we still own like a, a big share in uh, but the point is that we invest in companies that aren't really 100% a company yet right right not some of them are of course but most of them aren't so what that means is that you have a game, you might have launched a couple titles, or this is even your first one, and you need that success case to scale your company. So that's where we come in. We come in, we help you do that success case, and then you start scaling with you. But because we're so early, you know, it's not like we can exit in two years, or four years, or five years. So we have a five to seven standard like VC exit strategy, of course, where we can potentially exit like five or seven years later. But the way that we actually support ourselves like during this whole time as your in-house consultant, so to speak, is that we have a revenue share on the title.
1: Ah, I see. Okay.
0: So, and I want to be very clear with this because I know people generally don't like a uh, whole revenue share model. Some do, some don't. We, there is no binding agreement where, you know, we, we own you or own your company or the IP itself or any SQL. So it's a title by title basis. So, you know, the the, the title that you apply to us with, that's the first one we work together on. And then if you want to keep working with us on more titles, you know, ask... Con- full-time consultants for you, basically, then we can negotiate game by game. Right. So that's basically like how we support ourselves in the short term. And in the long term, it's the equity. So even if for some reason, you know, you don't want to sign a second game with us, uh, we're still equity investors. We're still going to help you. So it's not like, you know, we terminate any, uh, any sort of agreement or talking with us. And in the last five years of doing 47 investments, only one single studio has denied a second title because everyone else has been happy with us. And that's because they got funded in prototypes, sorry, in concept stage. So before they even had an MVP. Good for them. Yeah, that's completely okay, you know. So for us, we're here side by side with all of our companies. You guys also have access to our other investments. And I always say this, you know, I've been a streamer, you know, I've been a speaker for a long time. What I say, yeah, it's going to sound good, but it's always better to hear it from the people we work with, right? So I always say, you know, reach out to some of our investments that we work with, you know, reach out to Dream Harvest from UK, for example, Rogue Snail from Brazil, ask them about us, you know, ask them like, is Pontus uh, like a, a complete idiot? Is, is this all lies? You know? <laughs> reach out to our investments and, and talk to them. That's what I always say, because we, you know, there are, there are a lot of bad accelerators out there. And technically, you know, we're not really an accelerator. We're not really an investor. We're kind of business partners um, in a way. Uh, But there needs to be a label, which is why it's labeled as an accelerator. Right. Um, And and you got to be careful about who you partner up with, especially very early. So when I was on Jay Powell's podcast, I recommend anyone to listen to that as well. We we talked about, you know, picking the right early partner, picking the right accelerator. Because there are a lot of, like, bad ones out there. I just recently, I'll, I'll flip the numbers a little bit so the person doesn't know who I'm talking about. But there is an accelerator out there that basically takes... Uh, 45% revenue share of your title. Oof. And they only, in, they only invest a little bit below 200,000 USD. And that's just completely ridiculous. So be very careful about who you partner with. And also make sure that you read your grants because I also had a studio that I loved so much, man. Like I really wanted it to be a GTR accelerator. But they signed a grant which was worth very little money and gave, them, uh, gave that grant a rev share for... All eternity. Oh no! And it was a pretty high number. Yeah. So be careful, guys, when you sign your early partners.
1: <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, it, does your structure mm-hmm. um, and uh, the the way you work and, and all your strategy mm-hmm. influence the kind of studios and and titles you're after? Um, in the sense that, for example, let's say that you are quote unquote biased towards uh, games that can. Uh, explode. So let's say, um, lifestyle games or uh, mobile games and stuff like that, or you're looking at everything.
0: We're actually looking at everything except AR and VR. And I know that uh, Albert, if he's listening to this, that he's going to hate me, but I don't like VR, Albert, that's for you. (laughs) So I I don't review AR and VR, but we have a person within the company that loves it. Um, But generally, you're gonna have to blow our minds for us to even be interested in AR and VR games. So that's like the one change that we have because we have three VR investments already. We were a bit too early, you know, we were still supporting them today and we hope they're gonna succeed, but we're a little bit careful around those two. Right. Everything else we're completely open to. So about three years ago, we were more, more mobile focused. Now I would say we're more PC focused and that's not exactly um, intentional. It's more like I'm tired of hearing hyper casual company pitches. Yeah. I want something with a little bit more structure. You know, I want a company that wants to build something not build 20 games a month. So I, I, I know that we, I want to have a hyper casual investment in GTR. We do want one, but it's like, there's so many, and I'm not really sure how to evaluate a hyper casual company because it's just a bunch of terrible prototypes and one of them might work, you know? Yeah. Uh, so we, we are reviewing right now, like two hyper casual studios, I think, but generally we don't really do that. And, uh, other than that, is there anything we don't do uh, sexual content of course um, what else uh, I think that's pretty much yeah I, I mean yeah that's how open we are it's like any country, any genre of course we all have our internal biases and of course we we, we do know the market well enough that certain games will be you know certain tr- trends will be more um, uh, more successful but we're in this for the long-term, right? We're here to work with a company. We're not here to work with just one game. Right. We want to be part of you for a long time. So if you can make a good game now, then you're going to be able to make good games in the future. So we kind of like look at what have you been able to create so far, and we look at it in a long-term perspective that, okay, let's launch this game in the next 12 months, and then let's start working on the second title together. So yeah, we're we're very, very open, uh, you could say. Uh, yeah.
1: Um. So personally, my attitude... So I've been a, um, at the, at the head of a development studio, Mm uh, for a while now. And I've seen kind of both sides of, of the coin. Uh, I've talked with many publishers, I've talked with many developers. Um, and I speak often with, um, some colleagues Mm -hmm. and my attitude towards, let's say pitches have changed, uh, quite a bit in the sense that it is now very hard for me to get super excited about a pitch, (laughs) um, just because the market is so hard. Uh, so if, uh, 10 years ago, you know, during the, the limbo phase, during the, um, you know, during the quote unquote golden age of indie games, who came to me with a pitch of an interesting game, I would be like, man, this is going to be a smashing hit nowadays. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yes. Uh, you know, you come to me with a game and I'm like, neat, let's hope for the best, uh, because you go on steam and you get depressed. Like you see very, very, very good games. Uh, you yeah. do the numbers on their reviews and they're like, uh, you know, this, ten years ago, this would have been a smashing hit. Uh, and also, like many games are gonna be forgotten, sadly. Uh, you know, Carry On is an amazing game. I don't know in ten years how many people will remember about Carry On. But anyway, yeah. Um, uh how it is it for you now? Now that you're looking at these pitches, do you have this a similar attitude, or you still get?
0: No, no, a hundred percent, man. Like uh, it's <laughs> no. Nope. We, we have a term internally where we said nobody plays God in gaming. Right, and, and, you know, th- that's why we we started G-Round, because, yeah, I mean, I, I know that I'm good at evaluating projects, but I'm never going to be 100%, maybe not even 50% right, right? We have 10 investments per year, and I can love these games so much, I want to play them my entire life, like, each and every one of them, but, like, maybe only two are successful, right? Because it's no longer a, a matter of a good game, it's a matter of the strategy behind it. Yeah. Like, who are you targeting? Who is your target market? The target market and your target customers is the number one most important thing right now, not the quality of the game. If you've created a game with an audience in mind, you're going to be more successful than a game that is just really good and you haven't thought about the target. So, yeah, it's insanely hard. And I look at pitches so differently now from what I used to. And on that mark, that's also why we're open to everything as GTR because we don't know what genre, what's going to be the next Battle Royale, right? We don't know that. What's going to be the next genre to take over the world? So that's why all of our investments are very, very spread out and different. So just to calculate uh, last year's investments, for example, we have a 2D Dark Souls game. We have a 3D uh, top-down action RPG base defense with MOBA elements. We have an RTS RPG simulator. We have a MOBA mobile game. We have a crazy cool 2D Metroidvania kind of game from Philippines. Uh, We have a 3D, like, really big budget um, Souls-like game. Uh, we have a complete simulator, like an emotional simulator kind of thing. Interesting. Not, not, not Sims style, but kind of like a top-down Sims-ish, where you, you, but it's much more dark, Okay. <laughs> uh, which is super cool. And then we have like a one-tap um, super casual mobile game. And then we have a crazy top-down zombie shooter kind of thing, which is like a smaller project. So, and the sizes of all of these vary from 200,000 USD to 3.5 million. So you can see, like we're not targeting you based on the budget of your game. We're targeting you based on the scope, and you know what is your target market like, and how well do we think it's going to succeed in that market? Right. So we we're literally open to everything, and our investments, you know, prove my words. It's like very very um, mixed, you could say.
1: And uh, uh, I don't know how much you were involved in the initial um, stages uh, or in the initial discussions uh, of of GTR, um, but um, I. Can you maybe give a little bit of an insight of of the strategy of, uh, for example, let's say, okay, we know we're going to lose money for the first x years, uh, but then we're going to turn around, or we're just going to hope, or uh, we know that we're going to make uh, some money back. It, 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 how much? Um, what is the correct word? It's like how much a method there is to the madness of, let's say, investing in games. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So the, the company was founded by a, a guy named Danny Wu. He was the first founder. And uh, yeah, he he created our company because again, he wanted to do something different in the industry. He wanted to help startups grow and he wanted to make the next uh, supercell, so to speak. And he already has a, uh, he's already involved in, a, in regular startups, so to speak, uh, on the other side in Korea. And this kind of came from his old career. He was an ex-VC and he was, you know, Looking down on all these companies, you know, they were trying to find the best type of deal. They were in it for the long term. Um, But he realized that that's not really working. And it's also, you know, like kind of taking an exploit on some of the developers, you know, getting, being really strong armed with the way that you negotiate with them that he didn't like. So he founded GTR with the basis of creating a systematic process of how we pick our games. And then, yeah, we're going to be losing money for the first couple of years for sure. But all we really need, like theoretically or like mathematically, is one single game to be successful out of the ten to make you know all of our all of our investments back, so to speak? Right now, that's not our target. Our target is, of course, to at least get three or five of them per year. Well, I would love to ten, of course, but that's never going to happen. <laughs> so, three to five is like our target of um, uh, of finding like successful companies. Uh, and like what what the model the model has been built up over time. So in the beginning, you know, when we were a smaller team, it was like equity only with a little bit of uh, business stuff. And then, you know, we've um, and then the more people we added, the more expertise we got, the more different backgrounds, the more services we were able to add to build this entire ecosystem that we have now. And we've also learned from our mistakes. So in 2015 and 2016, it was more mobile focused because that was the trends. But then we realized, you know, that actually it's not the right strategy. Mobile might make more money, and there might be, you know, a much much more massive market. But the PC market is more. Um, what's the English word? Uh, it's more of a community. It's more like close. You know, like once you get their attention, once you prove them, like you know, your game, you're gonna have a fan base for a really long time. So in like long-term company building, we need a portfolio that has that cool trendiness. Mobile games, you know, like trying to make money, and then we have that whole long-term strategy of finding companies that we can build maybe five titles together with. Right. So our strategy has honestly always pretty much been the same. The only difference has been, you know, the, the games that we've targeted. But our goal is to work with companies for 5, 10, 20 titles and work with them for a long time. And then each and every game, you know, the, mo- the more games they make because they're new companies, the better they will be and we'll start, you know, getting our revenue over time. So that's why sometimes, you know, we don't project revenue from one of our companies for the first one or two or even three years. And that's, you know not great in terms of a general business strategy you might think but because we have 10 companies you know and other things that we're doing it's actually a very solid strategy and because we work with the companies so closely and we're like building a relationship with them you know we're learning along the way like i said like i don't know everything not even remotely close i will never call myself that i'm super smart or anything like that i would say that i'm still in my infancy and i have much more to learn so every year when we invest every year when we work with new people new countries we learn more and more and more, and we try to improve our processes. We try to support them more, so that hopefully, you know, maybe next year we'll have seven successful companies out of ten, and you know, we'll be able to pick a much stronger lineup. Yeah.
1: Um, just to shift gears, mm-hmm. um, I I didn't find this information, so you'll have to excuse me. How old are yeah. you?
0: Oh, oh I'm uh, 26.
1: Okay, you're extremely young. Uh, and, uh, I'm, I'm always fascinated with extremely young, uh, successful people. Um, but, uh, I, that's not what interests me right now. What interests me is the fact that, um, you are a very hungry person. You're a person that always chases kind of the next thing. You were always involved in something. Uh, your LinkedIn page is, is like, I don't know, I have to scroll for, for years, <laughs> uh, to get to the bottom of it. Uh, but, um, you, you're always after something. Yeah. Uh and uh, what is interesting to me you know in your quest is uh where you're going to be after. Uh now I know that you do other stuff on the side, you do investment, you do you still stream and and stuff like that um occasionally uh, at least. But um what I'm interested in is does your work at uh, GTR um is your work at GTR diverse enough let's say in what you do day to day that uh satisfies all of your hunger um or uh, do you still feel the need to chase after something new?
0: That's a very interesting question. You're the first person that has asked me that. Um, no, uh, the, definitely, at least right now, and I do believe for years to come, uh, uh, GTR is offering everything that I need. And that's because, you know I'm able to work with all of these different companies and I'm able to show them like my my goal is very simple. You know, I want to make sure that five companies and then seven and then nine and then maybe even ten, will succeed every year because of what I'm able to support them with because of what GTR is able to support them with. So I'm constantly chasing, you know, the ability to help these companies succeed. And that alone in itself is a huge feat. It's very hard, takes a lot of time and it's like really a lot of pressure, right? Right. But on the flip side, cause yeah, if I only did that, then of course, you know, maybe I would get stuck in a wall eventually, but we also have, you know, the GRAM platform that we're working on, like trying to build up that community. Trying to help even more startups. And at least right now, yeah, I am in a place where I'm able to get, you know, everything that I need from both of our companies in order to personally grow, uh, get better at what I do. And, you know, eventually might lead to something else, right? Like, uh, you're asked what my target is. I guess, like, in the future, you know, I'm probably, I've been CEO three times now. I'm probably going to be aiming to be CEO again. Um, So that's going to be my target in the next couple of years. I'm not in any rush whatsoever. Uh, it, it comes when it comes and it comes when I feel like I'm ready and when, you know, the uh, uh, the business partners feels like you're ready. So and yeah, I guess that's my next step again, is going back and and leading uh, a company again. Because um, that's really what I like to do. It's like taking care of, you know, all of your employees, but also all the surroundings. Again, you know, our studios, our our communities and everything. And. Yeah. Educating people. uh, That's what I stand for. And I'm able to do all of that here because I have the whole business side of it. I have the investing side of it, like within the company, right? I have the helping the startups to grow. So that's also there. Now with G round, I have the community building. I have the influencers that we work with. So that's my old career. So I I get to stay connected to that too. Um, And then I get to travel a lot and I love to travel. I love to meet new cultures, uh, try local food, you know, try street food in Brazil. Uh, meet the Brazilian government. Uh, we're very close to uh, Eliana Rusi from there, um, and you know I get to meet all these teams in person, and you get to see the product that you've helped build, right? Like right now, for example, I'm working very closely with one of our American investments, uh, Big Moxie Games. Technically, they're Brazilian, I guess. Like 99% of the staff is Brazilian, but like when I met that team, you know, the the moment we were going to decide whether to invest in them or not, we had such a good time. We were having wine, Brazilian barbecue. You know, I got to see all of these people. And now we're here almost a year later and the product has improved massively. And if it wasn't for COVID, I would be there again with them to, you know, meet the new members that we built, because when I was there, there was eight people. Now there's 13, you know, like you get to see the new, new talent coming in. You get to see the old talent, how they develop, how they grow as people. And for me, that's just uh, amazing. And at the same time, you know, I get to be on speaker sessions and panels talking about other subjects. Like, most of my speaker sessions are not related to GTR or G-Round because, you know, we just talk about random things. And as long as I can spread knowledge and help people while at the same time learning new knowledge myself, I'm in a happy space. So, yeah, the, uh, long, <laughs> the short answer to your question is that, yes, right now within GTR and G-Round, I'm definitely getting uh, my full fill. Um, but, I mean, I still talk to my old, uh, my old friends. For example, we don't have a camera on this podcast, right? But right behind me, uh, MSI just sent me their latest laptop and DX Racer sent me an unreleased Siri I can't talk about uh, to take a look at. You know? So I still work with other companies occasionally, You know, like saying hi, doing like small things with. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, I- I'm good. And uh, that's a good question. I've <laughs> I haven't heard that in a long time.
1: Well, uh, and uh, if I may, this, this might get maybe too personal. I don't know. But sure. I'm asking just because I'm going through that phase in, in my personal life mm-hmm. uh where you know um i'm settling down um you know get, getting a dog getting a cat, car you know doing that quote-unquote adult stuff <laughs> um yeah. and uh, for a while you know my life was uh, so dominated by work and it kind of still is and kind of still is my focus but that side of my life is also creeping in quote-unquote mm-hmm. um is, is that in, in anywhere in your vision in like in is it far away uh or do you think about it at all
0: yeah so uh, again very good question i don't mind going personal i mean i used to be a streamer right so personal is pretty much what uh, there's like a fine line right because <laughs> <laughs> they they want to know everything about your life you know where you go to the toilet where you are right now it's like okay back off <laughs> but questions like this is okay so um yeah if you asked me six months ago i might have had a different answer but um I basically just got out of a three-and-a-half-year-long relationship where, you know, that might have ended in settling down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now that that is over, I have no current plans of settling down. And with the expansion of uh, of GTR and G-Round, because we're about to close our Series A, um, I'm going to be, quote-unquote, stuck in Bangkok for at least another two years, you know, building up the office here. Because uh, I, I lead the operation team of G-Round and the, and the accelerator, right? And the the staff is here in Bangkok. So I have a team of now 12 people. Um, So yeah, I got to be here for another two years. And I love Thailand. Don't get me wrong. I think Thailand is amazing. And everyone that I know or all of my old fans know that I like Thailand. But I don't want to raise a family here. Hmm. Uh, At least not right now. That's my current mindset. It might change. But I feel like the moment I do want to settle down, I do want to, you know, get a car, get a house, etc., will be in Europe. And currently for the last two years, I was always planning to go to Spain this year. Hmm. So before we were talking about, uh, you know, before I joined GTR in 2021-ish, I was going to live in Spain. Um, with GTR now, quote unquote, again, like keeping me here, uh, which I'm obviously totally fine with because I love it here now more than two years ago. Um, I'm planning to stay here for two years and then go up and set up our European office in, uh, in Spain. Yeah.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Well, best of luck with that. Um with it just a little over an hour um it was an amazing podcast I had a lot of fun um do you have any uh, last words for our listeners
0: uh, No no this was an interesting conversation i think we could keep talking for like 10 hours <laughs> but uh, yeah indeed <laughs> uh yeah no um last words i'm not very good at those cuz i talk too much <laughs> <laughs> um i guess if you are a game developer and you have a really cool game and you need to grow your company. You need business expertise. Come to us. You know that's what we do. That's what we're good at. So globaltopround.com. Get over there and apply and send us your game. Would love to take a look. Secondly, if you're a studio that's looking for you know market insight, you want to figure out where to launch your game, you want to get your game tested by tons of gamers. You know we have gameround.co. You can go there. That's our G round platform that is in pre alpha. We're sending out the press release probably next week, so it's not like 100% public yet, but it's coming out. So we were looking for awesome games there as well to test and, you know, give to our gamers. And thirdly, on a more personal note, now that you guys got to know me a little bit more, you can tell that, you know, my life has been a little bit everywhere. Uh, and yeah, if you find me on LinkedIn as Ponta Smaller, um, I've experienced a lot of things. And I, the only advice I can give you is that, you know, always push to chase your dreams. Don't stay in a position that you absolutely hate unless absolutely necessary to, like, you know, you have huge finance problems and you need the money. If you have the option and the time, try to find what you love. Try to find something that you're really intrigued by that will, you know, like tickle you intellectually. It will grow you as a person, whether it's volunteer, paid or not, do it. And I will always recommend everyone, and this is to my friends in Sweden, go travel, you know, meet other people, like build a network, um, go to gaming events, you know, like hand out business cards, make a business card for yourself. Just you as a person, you know, like start putting your name out there and showing people who you are because that's how random opportunities like a Swedish guy living in Bangkok for four years working for a Korean company happens. Yes. This was all coincidence, you know. I, yeah, I'm, I will, would keep talking forever, but that's basically, yeah, just uh, put yourself out there, do things, chase your dreams and chase them properly. Don't just like chase something that's unachievable. I always use a, a mind map, something you learn when you're two years old in school. Make a mind map of pros and cons of your current job, where you're gonna be in five years, and where this job will take you in those five years. So if you make a simple mind map, you can be like, if I stay in this position, where am I gonna be in five years? What are the pros and what are the cons? And now do that with three other ideas that you have or three other things that you wanna do, and you're literally gonna see by paper alone what your next step should be. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's my advice, I guess.
1: Yeah, that is some great advice. And, and, and I would keep talking for 10 hours more. Um, <laughs> uh pontus is on twitter at B slapped uh and uh thanks again
0: no thank you as well it was a pleasure being here and i you know uh i love what you're doing so keep it up thank
1: you thank you and uh, i'll see you all next time take care